Hey, I'm Sheena, former miserable corporate attorney turned full-time calligrapher and creative entrepreneur. I used to feel like I was living my life for other people, and now I am more true to myself than ever. And each week, I'm sharing a short but powerful lesson that I've learned on that journey. So if you're looking for a way to get more creativity and possibility into your life, you're so in the right place. Let's dive right in. Hello, creative friends. Welcome back to The Sheena Show. I have a super practical episode for you today. I am walking you step by step through the actual legal and financial logistics of establishing your calligraphy business. And I'm doing it with my corporate lawyer brain. So, you know, it's going to be super clear and organized. So if you've dreamed of having a creative business and this nitty gritty stuff is what's stopping you, keep listening. I promise by the end of this episode, it's going to feel way less overwhelming and so much more doable. So before we dive into the meat of this, this is going to be a two-part series, Calligraphy Business Essentials. In this first part, I'm covering legal and financial stuff. In the second part, which is coming out next week, I'm going to cover marketing and how to serve customers. All right. Um, so let me go over real quick what we're going to cover in this episode, who it's for, and a quick disclaimer. So we are covering two broad categories, legal, so permits and the setup, and then category number two, financial, including invoicing and stuff like that. So in permits and legal setup, we are going to go over how to choose a name, deciding on a legal structure, and then evaluating what permits are required using a method that I teach my students that makes it much more doable. And then in the finances, we're going to cover how to separate your finances, how to track and invoice clients, and then we'll go over contracts, insurance, and sales tax. So <laughs> I told y'all, right? We're getting super nitty gritty here. Who is this for? This is for people who have maybe sold their first calligraphy to friends and family. They've tried it out. You have decided you like it and you want to make things more legit and serious and official. Okay. I do have an episode previously in the Sheena show, episode 52 called the easiest way to start your calligraphy business. That is for brand new people brand new, you just got good at calligraphy, people have been asking you to create things for them here and there. You just want to dip your toes in the water and try out selling something and just see how it goes, see if you even like it. You maybe are not ready to get into some of this financial and legal, you know, legit stuff. If that's you, go back to episode 52 and listen to the easiest way to start your calligraphy business. It, it's a much more simple and streamlined process. If you are in the camp where you're like, no, I want to make this more legit or I want to know how to do it, then keep listening to this episode. Okay. Final two things. Quick disclaimer. I am a former corporate lawyer, but I'm no longer practicing and I am not an accountant or tax specialist. So all of this is just based on my own personal knowledge and experience. Please consult your own attorney and tax specialist, you know, as you feel you need. And then final thing before we dive into the content is I have a freebie for you that will really, really help you out if you're interested in calligraphy business. It's called 45 Ways to Make Money with Calligraphy. 
and it lists out all these potential revenue streams. Plus, it also has a sample map of how you can bring in $79,000 of revenue in a calligraphy business with services you could provide, pricing suggestions, all of it. So if you are interested in really kind of getting help, getting your calligraphy business off the ground, go grab that freebie. It's at crookedcalligraphy.com slash money. I will tell you more about that at the end of the episode. Okay, let's get into broad category number one, permits and legal setup. So what you want to do first, step number one, is choose a name. And there are entire articles and courses, and you could go really in depth on choosing the right name for your business. But what I tell people who are just starting is just choose something that's clear over clever. You don't want to have some elaborate, pun-filled, insider joke name that comes off as confusing to people who don't know you. Okay. So um, Laura's Luminous Lines is an example I use all the time that, you know, might sound tempting to name your calligraphy business something like that because, you know, luminous and lines, but somebody who stumbles across it, I want them to know immediately what you offer and what your company is all about because people's attention spans are so short. So I always say clear over clever. Another consideration is if it has your legal name in the business name, um, some states require last name, some states require full name, you know, you have to do your own research. But generally, if it has your name in it, then you might not have to file a fictitious business name. We'll get into that later, but it might just it might just simplify some of the permits and administrative stuff. Okay. So that's something to require. And then another big consideration to close out this topic is make sure you search, you know, Google, federal and state business databases, do some research to ensure there's not already somebody out there with the name Chloe's Calligraphy, right? And then you go and do all your filings and then figure out that you can't have that name. All right. So do your basic research. But overall, my recommendation here is if you're just really stumped and this is holding you back, just choose your name calligraphy, Sheena's calligraphy, something like that. And at least that will get you going. You can always, um, you can adjust this later. All right. Okay. Step number two in permits and legal setup, you are going to decide on a legal structure. So I am in the U.S., I can only advise on, you know, what things are like in the U.S. from my own personal knowledge and research and experience. Um, you know, do your own research in whatever country you're in. But this kind of gen the general idea here should apply to a lot of different countries. So here in the U.S., you can go either sole proprietorship or LLC. Those are the two kind of easiest business structures, least requirements. That's by far what is chosen by most people doing this kind of a business. So um, sole proprietorship, let's kind of go through the pros and cons of each. A sole proprietorship is the easiest, the least paperwork. It's usually the cheapest. And it just means that you as yourself you as a legal entity, you're just doing business. You're just doing business as yourself. That's why it's called a sole proprietorship. 
Um, and, you know, there's a way to kind of deal with this on your taxes, which your accountant will know better, but there's basically no separation here between you as a person and the business. It's all kind of together, which is part of the con, right? So the pro of the sole proprietorship is that it's easiest to set up, it's cheapest to set up. The con is that it offers you no protection. Now, if you feel like you need protection of your personal assets, then an LLC might be the more advisable route, okay? An LLC stands for Limited Liability Company, and it also is a fairly simple business structure, but the main difference from a sole proprietorship is that an LLC creates a separate legal entity for your business. So your business is now considered like a separate legal thing from you, and if you run your LLC properly and keep track of what's yours and what, you know, is the businesses, then the business assets are separate from your personal assets. So if, you know, the worst case scenario happens and you get sued or you're liable for something in your business, um, only your business assets, you know, can be touched. Your personal assets, like maybe your personal car, your personal home, right? Your belongings, they can't be touched. So the that's the pro of the LLC. The con is that it is more paperwork and more upkeep. Like you have to do filings every year, every year, depending on what state you're in. And it can be much more expensive. So in California, it costs $800 just to have your LLC exist every year, right? Which I think that's the highest is in California, but it can cost some hundreds of dollars in other states as well, right? But that's the kind of pro-con. Me personally, I was a sole proprietorship for the first maybe two or three years of my business before I started kind of making more money and I decided, okay, maybe it's time to, you know, separate this out and make this more official. So a lot of people can get away with doing a sole proprietorship. It's totally fine. If you think about the chances that you're going to get sued for something or be liable for damages as a calligraphy business, they're pretty low, right? You're not out there doing, um, you know, fire acrobatics or driving like cement trucks around. There's very little chance. So sole proprietorship is, is probably fine for most people. Okay. I will make a little note here on S-Corps. So you might've heard of, you know, an S-Corp. And that actually has to do more with how you pay yourself and how that money that you pay yourself gets taxed. So I just want to mention it here in case you hear of it and are like, oh my God, what is that? Sheena didn't mention that. <laughs> it's, it's an election that you make that affects how you get taxed on how you pay yourself, at least here in the US. Um, and, but that it really makes sense when you're paying yourself more regularly and more frequently. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you can kind of talk to your accountant or tax person to see if that makes sense for you, All right? Okay, so that was all decide on legal structure, All right? Let's move to the third part of this first overall broad category of permits and legal setup. And the third part is evaluating sort of the other legal permits and requirements that you need. And I like to do this. This can, this is the part, you know, that can feel 
overwhelming for people, but I like to give it a structure so that you kind of at least know how to tackle it in a particular way. And I like to do it and tell my students to do it top down. So that means first you want to look at the overall country, federal requirements. Then you want to look at your state requirements. Then you want to look at your county and then your city. Okay. So the country, right? We're here in the U.S. I can only speak to the U.S. That means the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, and how your taxes are kind of handled. Um, and whether you want to get, you know, an employer identification number for the purposes of your taxes, right? So that's country. I don't have time in this podcast episode to get into like all the nitty gritty, but I just want to give you an overview so you kind of have a structure in your head of what to look for. Okay. So this all feels a little bit less overwhelming. All right. So that's country. Now we're going to go state. The state level will have a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of the business requirements. So in California, for example, um, the state level is where you might get a seller permit or a seller's permit if you are selling physical products in a certain way, right? Okay, so there's some requirements there at the state level. Then you might go down to county. So in Los Angeles County, for example, where I am located, um, that's kind of where they take care of fictitious business names or DBA, in quotes, doing business as. Um, so the county clerk's office or the county registrar's office is where I went to file a fictitious business name, you know, filing. And that just really quick is if you are doing business as a name other than your own name. So me, for example, my company is called Crooked Calligraphy. It's not called Sheena Chang Calligraphy, right? So because it's called Crooked Calligraphy, the county wants to make sure there's a record of who is kind of behind that business, who actually I am doing business as, quote unquote, crooked calligraphy, right? So people kind of know, oh, all right, there's this business, but behind it, there's, you know, a person or maybe another business entity. So that's the fictitious business name. Okay, now we're going to get moved down. There might be some city requirements. So when I was in Los Angeles City, there were some like, you know, if you had a physical location, you might have to get a police and fire permit. Um, now that I am, you know, in Signal Hill, I just need to go register with that local Signal Hill business office every year. Okay. So I know that sounds like a lot, but I promise you, once you kind of have this structure to think of it, country, state, county, city, um, it will feel a lot more manageable. And I want to give you a tip here to please take advantage of small business government resources. Every state, usually every county, sometimes the city level, will have a website that says, here's what you need to do to start a business. They might even have a, you know, a phone number that you can call and get actual, you know, human help with walking you through the process. So the key that I want you to take away from here is that the government wants small businesses. It's great for everyone when a small business succeeds, taxpayers, economy, just everyone, right? So there are resources out there to help you get through it. And then one other just like sub note here before I close out this broad category is that you might 
you know, when you start looking into this stuff, it might kind of affect what you choose to offer in your business. So if you're selling physical products, for example, there might be some more requirements like that seller's permit that I was talking about, or maybe something in the name in, you know, sales taxes. So that might kind of affect how you choose to structure your business offerings. All right. Okay. So that was broad category number one. We went over choosing a name, deciding on legal structure, and evaluating just the permitting requirements from the top down. Let's move on to broad category number two, and that's finances and invoicing. So we're going to cover first separating finances, tracking finances and invoicing, contracts, insurance, and sales tax. All right. So let's get into this. You must, you probably have heard this if you listen to like any business podcasts or advice or YouTubes or anything, you must separate your finances. <laughs> if you are serious about running a business and making sure that that business makes you profit, you have to track, separate and track those numbers in order to make sure that you're actually making a profit. Um, and separating finances is also required a lot of times in order to show the IRS that you are running a legit business. Um, and it's required in order to, you know, keep and preserve your LLC status. They don't want people making an LLC, a separate business entity, and then just, you know, blending all the finances together between personal and business, and you can't tell, you know, who's making a profit and what's expenses or not, right? That That's not legit. So you must separate your finances. Fortunately, it's easier than you might think, okay? All you have to do is use a separate bank account, a separate checking account, and a separate credit card for your business. And make sure you're running everything for the business through those separate accounts. If you buy supplies for your business, run it through the business credit card. If you are driving somewhere for your business, run the gas on your business credit card, okay? It doesn't necessarily have to be a official business checking account or an official business credit card. Sometimes those have um, higher requirements in terms of how much money you need in there and qualifications. It can just be any separate checking account and credit card. That's what I did when I first started out is I just used like a, a separate kind of checking bank account. And then I just used a credit card that I already had, but wasn't really using for my everyday life. And that's how I did it in the beginning. Okay. As you get further along, of course, you can then open an official business bank account or a business credit card. And those come with, you know, perks of their own. Okay. So that's number one, separate finances. Number two, you got to track your finances. And this can kind of combine with invoicing, right? Because that's the way that you're going to tell clients how much they owe you and how you get paid. So tracking finances and invoicing, when I you can start out really just basic and DIY and just keep track of everything in a spreadsheet. That's what I did when I first started when I wasn't even sure, like, oh, is this calligraphy business going to work out? <laughs> Am I going to like this, right? Um, I didn't want to invest so much money right in the beginning on a, a bunch of software. So I just, you know, tracked it myself to begin with. So as long as you are, you know, 
writing down in a spreadsheet in an organized way how much money you're spending on your business and how much money you're bringing in for your business. Then that spreadsheet can give you an idea of what profit you are making, right? And profit means the money that you're bringing in minus the money that you spent the expenses, right? So the money that you're bringing in through your sales minus the money that you spent the expenses to make that money will give you your overall profit. Um, so I used a spreadsheet and then I used PayPal, I think, which was free in order to invoice whenever um, a customer wanted some sort of custom thing. Um, I would just kind of send over an invoice on PayPal and they would pay through PayPal and it all worked fine. When I started getting a little bit more into my business and more, you know, transactions and more orders were coming in, I switched over then to QuickBooks Self-Employed, which I highly recommend for beginning businesses. Um, it helps you just easily sort what expenses are for your business versus personal and what money coming in is for your business versus personal. Um, and if you're, you know, good about the sorting, then it will kind of automatically tell you every month, hey, you made this much money in profit, okay, which is cool. Um, and the other cool thing about QuickBooks Self-Employed is that you can send invoices using that software and they'll look all kind of official and they'll, you know, have the QuickBooks and you can uh, customize it, you know, to have your logo. And then when the client pays that money through, you know, that invoice, then it it automatically comes into the QuickBooks software and gets registered as, hey, this is money that has come in, okay? So QuickBooks Self-Employed or other softwares like it just make it way, way easier for you to be tracking your finances and really keeping an eye on how much profit you're making. Um, quick note on like CRMs and like an Etsy. Ooh, this episode. <laughs> so much detail in it. Make sure to, uh, you know, save this, send it to a friend if it's helpful. But anyway, um, Etsy can also be great as a way to just kind of, you know, put your products and services out there and it's an easy way for people to pay. Okay. Um, I will say more about Etsy in the second part of this two-part series on calligraphy business essentials. But I, I did want to mention here really quickly now that we're talking about kind of tracking finances and invoicing, um, a note on like CRMs, client relationship management, I think is what it stands for, systems. Like you might have heard of HoneyBook or Dubsado. Those are great if you get a little bit further in your business and you're doing a lot of custom commissioned work. Right. So what these softwares do is a client, you know, say inquires with you, hey, I would like you to do my wedding stationery. Great. So um, CRMs are make it, you know, once you set them up, make it easy for you to send the potential client, hey, this is my price list and all the stuff, you know, that you might choose to add on and the client can easily select, okay, I want uh, invitations and save the dates and envelopes and, you know, thank you cards and escort cards, all this stuff. And then you can send them a project quote and an estimate. Hey, this is how much it'll cost. This is the timeline it'll take. And then the client can easily read through that and they can agree 
and sign a contract and uh, submit payment. And then you can kind of walk them through the timeline and update like, hey, this is done. I need this from you. So that's what a client relationship management software is. Um, it's great if you get a little bit further along, like I said, and you kind of are spending a lot of your time doing that kind of client communication and back and forth, and this can really streamline it for you. But if you're just beginning, you really don't need those and the complication <laughs> right now. All right. Speaking of that, let's get into contracts. So quick, just kind of legal background from my former lawyer brain. So you're aware. Um, I, I, I highly recommend you start to use contracts in your business, um, especially if you're starting to get more complicated, expensive, larger projects. Now, the kind of layman's summary of how contracts work is that a contract in the legal sense is actually formed whenever you and a customer kind of come to agreed terms and the customer pays you in return for you giving them something back. So that actually, that can legally form a contract in the eyes of, you know, the courts. But the reason, so the, but the reason you want like a written contract or at least written documentation is because if it ever came to, you know, say the client didn't pay you and you had to go to court, you want evidence. You want written evidence that there was a contract and that you did come to an agreement and that they were supposed to pay you and you were supposed to deliver this and that's what was agreed upon. Okay. So with that sort of quick legal background in mind, if you're like just starting out and you don't want to spend a few hundred dollars on a contract template just yet, at the very, very least, make your, you know, the terms of the project, the important key terms, very, very clear in your email, in your email communications to the client and also put them in your invoice. So most invoicing systems will have an area for notes. And that's where you can put the key terms like, you know, how much money the customer agreed to pay you. Um, what is the scope? What you have promised to deliver? When, right? The timing of when you promise to deliver it. That kind of stuff. You want to put that in writing that has been agreed upon by both parties as much as possible. But the most, you know, the best way to protect yourself and to just be very clear with your client on exactly what is um, expected from both parties is a written contract, right? So there are contract templates out there specifically for calligraphers. I'll drop a, a link to the contract shop in the show notes because I know theirs are good, right? All right, we're almost done here. Let's roll through insurance really quick. All right. So when it comes to insurance, so I personally didn't get general business insurance until I would say like three years into my business. And here's why. You really have to evaluate what is the potential liability that you're going to run into that you want this insurance to cover, okay? If you are just doing calligraphy at home, 
making place cards and custom greeting cards and and custom quotes and sending it to people, maybe selling it through Etsy. Just, you know, use your common sense and think about, okay, what's the potential liability here? Like, what is anybody going to sue me for? What are any potential damages? Probably negligible, right? So say you get a place card order wrong, you know, you fix it or, you know, you apologize to the client or you redo it or whatever, but it's not like you're going to, you're on the hook for a ton of damages. Now, on the other hand, if you are going to be going on site, you know, to a restaurant or a venue and doing a, a chalkboard or a mural and you're worried about, okay, what if I what if I damage the wall here or I damage their their chalkboard? Or if you're engraving all sorts of expensive perfumes and candles and, you know, you're worried, okay, what if I damage something? Or, you know, say you have your own studio space or retail space and customers are coming in. What if somebody trips and falls inside your store, right? So you want to start thinking about, okay, what is it that I am trying to cover here? So in those, you know, latter instances, you definitely want to think a little bit harder about getting insurance. Now, I want to make a distinction here between general business insurance and day of certificates of insurance. General business insurance, I think I pay maybe $500 a year for my general business liability insurance coverage. Um, and that's just kind of as you do, you go about your business on a day-to-day -day basis. If anything were to happen, you know, certain things are covered by your insurance. That's general coverage. Day of insurance is a separate thing. And that, that might be required by certain, like if you go to a venue and you're going to do on-site calligraphy, or if you're going to go and maybe even um, go to a wedding venue as a calligrapher and set up welcome signs and stuff, some places will require you to present a certificate of insurance, like a day of certificate. Those you can just go online and buy for pretty affordable. And venues do that mostly because their own insurance <laughs> requires any vendors that come onto their property to have their own certificate of insurance. But again, the likelihood that anything is going to happen is so, so low that those day of certificates of insurance are generally very, very affordable. I'm talking like $30. Okay. All right. Final thing that I wanted to cover, sales tax. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. Sales tax can be a real pain in the butt. Um, sales tax, you know, just as an overview is when you go to the store and you buy uh, a candle, let's say you pay some sales tax on top and, and the, the person who sold you the candle is supposed to collect that sales tax and they don't keep it. It goes to the government. Okay. It's a tax on selling things. <laughs> so, um, I'll give you an overview Generally, generally, sales tax applies if you are selling physical products. Now, the law is kind of changing and evolving all the time when it comes to digital products. So make sure you, you know, check and do your own research and consult your own attorney if you're um, doing a lot of this. But generally, if you're selling physical products and you have a quote unquote nexus with the state that you are selling in, um, then you're required to collect sales tax and turn and and remit it to the government. 
a nexus with a state, that generally for most people will just mean the state that you are physically in and doing business in. But if you are traveling to a different state and selling at a pop-up market there, you might be deemed to have a nexus with that state. It means you have like some sort of physical connection to that state. If you have an employee in a different state or a business location in a different state, or you just travel there a lot, you might be deemed to have a nexus with that state. But for most calligraphy businesses, it's just the state that you are physically in and operating out of. And if you sell physical products within that state, there's a requirement to collect sales tax and remit it to the government. Like I said, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt, but it's it's figure outable. You know, there's like a certain amount of sales tax and it varies by state. It varies by county. So you'll have to, you know, do your own research, but that's kind of generally what it is. And this, like I mentioned before, might affect your decision of whether you want to sell physical products or whether you want to just focus on calligraphy services. All right. Okay. So that was the super tactical in-depth dive into starting your calligraphy business, the legal and financial logistical stuff. So I mentioned before, but I'm actually going to do a part two of this podcast. And, you know, because in this episode, we covered the calligraphy business essentials, the legal and financial stuff. In the next part, I'm going to cover calligraphy business essentials, attracting and keeping customers. So this is kind of like the marketing and selling and operations piece of starting your calligraphy business. Okay? I thought that would make kind of a logical break. So make sure you come back next week if you found this episode really helpful. Again, please, please send it to like a business friend or somebody who's considering starting a business and you can kind of like, okay, talk through together. Does this feel more doable? Maybe it does, right? Um, And then make sure to come back next week for part two, where I'm going to kind of break down the attracting and keeping customers part. And then I'm going to round this out with, if you are interested, if you like the way that I've broken this down, Um, and you want to hear more from me on business, tips, mindset stuff, really practical, tactical stuff like this episode, get on my email list. And I'm going to make it extra enticing for you by throwing in a free guide that is super valuable. So go to crookedcalligraphy.com slash money, 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 (laughs) right? Because that's what we're interested in making with the business. Crookedcalligraphy.com slash money. And you can download the my 45 different ways to make money with calligraphy PDF. And it comes with a sample spreadsheet that maps out a way to make $79,000 of revenue. That's overall sales in your calligraphy business. Like it actually gives you different products and services and teachings and workshops you can offer and how many you might need to sell and how many you, you know, what the pricing, suggested pricing, so that you can add up to $79,000 of revenue in a year. So 
it just shows you what's possible. It shows you how you could start to think about structuring your business, um, what to sell, what your uh, profit margins should be so that you really can build up eventually to a, a real like business of your dreams that maybe you don't think is possible right now. But my whole mission here is to make all this more doable and more possible. So not promising that you're going to get to $79,000 of revenue in your first year. Like, no way. It's do. I, I would say it's doable if someone really like knows business and, and, it, and tackles it super strategically. But for most people that might take two or three years, but it is something to aspire to, right? It, when you have a path laid out for you where people have been there and are looking back and saying, come on, there's a way you can do this. It's totally possible. You are so much more likely to go for it. So crookedcalligraphy.com slash money for that um, free PDF and 79K revenue map. And make sure to come back next week for part two of this very helpful series. All right. I will see you all next week. Oh, you're still here. That's awesome. That means that you like the show, right? Thank you for listening to the end. And I want to ask you a really quick favor. Could you take two seconds right now, literally right now, to just leave a rating on this podcast? And if you're feeling extra generous, write a one sentence review. It really helps more people like you to find this show. You are awesome. I'll see you next time.